Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, if you want to open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, uh, today we're going to look at the two memorials and a father's responsibility. How to break it up into two different thoughts because there's plenty to do in a verse-by-verse study. So two memorials and a father's uh, responsibility. We left off with them. They just crossed the Jordan River. And we're, I want to begin tonight with a thought that I hope helps some of us in this room, anybody watching this later on on YouTube or a podcast listening to it. You can keep your marker here in Joshua chapter 4. And if you'd back up just to uh, one book, go to Deuteronomy chapter 2. And I want to start with this thought process because they are entering, they're crossing, entering into the, uh, the promised land. So if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, say I'm there when you're Deuteronomy 2. Yeah. Okay, you're all there? Okay. Deuteronomy 2, and I'm going to read three verses and start drawing some ideas out of this. And uh, it says, Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by way by the way to the Red Sea, and as the Lord spoke to me, encircled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough, now turn north. And I like the statement, I like the idea in there, because if you think about this, they've been out in the desert for a long, long time, for years, and now God finally says to them, You've circled the mountain long enough, now it's time to turn north. In other words, time, time to go into that, to that promised land. Now, with that said, let me make this statement. It is very easy to get stuck in life, is it not? I, how many of you, I've seen people that I went to high school with get stuck in life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they get stuck. And they get stuck circling. And they get stuck comfortable. And they just get stuck in life. And I, personally, I, I think that had I not, had Jesus not, found me and I found him, um, I think I would have been pretty stuck in life. But um, many people get stuck in life. Now, we don't want to spend our lives going in circles. He says, you've circled long enough. I want to show you how life works, okay, within this concept. You're still in Deuteronomy chapter 7, or you're in chapter 2. Go to chapter 7 now. And in chapter 7, we visited this before, but this is a very important thing in life. He says uh, in verse 22, if you're in 22, say, I'm there. Okay, he says, uh, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, say little by little. little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. He says, look, I'm going to give you the land, but I'm going to give you the land little by little. And we have said before, I think maybe a month ago, that when we read this first, that he has to do it little by little because we're just not ready for the whole enchilada. Any, any amens on that? It just takes kind of a, a little by little thing. But if you think about that and you think about you've circled long enough, it's time to get unstuck, and now you're going to go in the land, and I'm going to give it to you little by little. Think of little by little like stages in life, that God takes us through st- this stage, then the next stage, and then the next stage in life. Amen to that one? Now, here's the key that you have to realize about life, and you probably have already realized this, that for you and I to get to this stage, this next stage, we have to make sure that in these previous stages that we have, um, 
We have grown in them and we have prepared because the previous stages prepare us for next stage, right? So if we are in this stage here, if we're all in a stage and we're not preparing and we're not growing and we're not allowing God to do whatever he's supposed to do in our life, then we're not going to be ready for the next stage when that opens up. Now, one of my favorite coaches of all time, John Wooden, he had this pyramid of success. Have you ever heard of that one right there? He used to be the UCLA coach. And one of his statements in the pyramid of success, success is this. When the window of opportunity opens up, it's too late to prepare. It's too late to prepare. You have already had to have prepared in previous stages so when the window opens up that you can go through that window of opportunity. And so one of the things I want to leave with you here at the very, very beginning is that it's easy to get stuck circling mountains. It's easy to get stuck in life. But while you're in that stage right there, whatever you're doing, understand that's a preparation season of your life. And it's preparing you for this next stage. And if you don't prepare here, when this opens up, you will miss the window when it opens up and you'll have to wait for the next windows. So you better start preparing now because how many know life goes by fast and you don't want to miss windows of opportunity, amen? You want to hit them when they open up. Now, he's telling them, you've been in this holding pattern for a while. Now it's time to now go north. So hopefully now, yes, they've gone through the stages. I want you to think about it like this to give you a biblical picture of how one stage prepares you for the next stage. Remember when um, the, all the people are starving and Jesus says, you feed them, and they bring five loaves and two fish, right? Remember that time? And so Jesus takes that and he blesses it and expands and they, and they feed the people. It says specifically in one of the events, because it happens twice, that 5,000 men are fed. I think Charlie referred to that on Sunday. Yeah, 5,000 men are fed, not including women and children. Now, if you read those Gospels and you watch sequence what happens, after the 5,000 are fed, after that, then Jesus says, get in the boat, and I want you to get in there. You're going to go to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? When they get in the boat, and they start rowing out there towards the other side, when they get to the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is just a big lake, it's like seven miles by 14 miles. When they get to the middle, what happens in the middle of that lake? There's a storm, but it's not just any storm. It's a storm that scares them, right? And these are seasoned fishermen. So you know it's got to be one crazy storm that's happened. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, which happens to be filled with a lot of demonic activity, that's where Jesus says, hush, be still to the storm. And he's talking to it like it is an entity, like it's a demonic entity, like he's stopping that. But in the middle of the storm, uh, in the middle of the lake, the storm just explodes upon them. Now think about that. They just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Right after that, a storm hits. Now think of that stage in life, because if you go to the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost when the church is born, 3,000 men get saved, not counting women and children, the Holy Spirit comes down, they start speaking in tongues, the church is birthed right there, and by the way, that's the second or sometimes we call it third experience of the Spirit of God. They were saved earlier at the, at the end chapters of John, but now the empowering of the Spirit comes upon them to explode into the world and preach this gospel. Now, 3,000 men get saved, and then a few chapters later, 2,000 more men get saved. 3,000 plus 2,000, how many thousand? It's 5,000. And then a few chapters after that, 
Now you have the explosion of persecution. The storm of persecution explodes upon the church, upon these disciples right there. So you think about that. Over in the Gospels, 5,000 are fed, then the storm. And then you have over here in the book of Acts, 5,000 are saved, then the storm of persecution. Do you think it is possible that God was preparing them at this stage to be ready for this stage? I think it's highly possible. I think God sets us up through seasons and situations where we have experienced certain things so that we're ready for that next thing that's going to be thrown our way so we can, so we can step into whatever we need to step into to be able to experience everything that God has for us. And that's little by little by little by little by little by little. Amen to that one? So now that's my intro for you tonight. So let's get into Joshua 4 because now they're coming to the next stage. They're coming into that promised land. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now it came about when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So they're all crossing. That the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe. Now, interesting parallel. Joshua picks 12 men. How many did Jesus pick? 12 men, and they're all picked for a certain task, okay? Verse 3 says, And command them, saying, Take up for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Bullet point number one. Here's your first fill-in. Bring Jesus home with you. Amen? Always bring Jesus home with you. Now, how do I get that out of what I just read right here? Well, they pick up 12 stones out of the river, right? The river's parted still, correct? Yes or no? Okay, good. I thought maybe you guys got lost, but okay. They pick up 12 stones. Those stones, what were unique about the 12 stones? Who was standing on them? The priests are standing on the 12 stones. Once they pick up those 12 stones by the 12 men, so each man has a stone, they take the stones where? Where is it supposed to take them to? They take them to where they're lodging. They take them home with them. Now, I want you to think of all the parallels right there because I think it's a cool picture. In the New Testament, you and I are called priests of God. Amen? Now, we're called priests of God. And we are to stand on the rock, Jesus Christ. Correct? And so we are priests standing on the rock, just like you see there. And just like priest standing on the rock. We're to take the rock, Jesus Christ, home with us all the time, and he should be the foundation of everything in our, in our homes. Amen to that one right there? Now, <clears throat> it's very important, and here's why, that we bring Jesus home with us. He's got to be the foundation of everything in that home. Do you remember when Jesus, he tells that great story, and Jesus told the best stories, he says there's a person who built their house on the sand. And he says when the storm comes and the wind blows and the torrent hits, what happens to that house? It's blown away. It falls apart. But he says there's another man who builds his house. It says he dug deep. And I love the visual illustration that you got to go deep with God. You got to go deeper in the word. You just can't be a surface person and think you're going to survive storms. But you dig deep and you hit down to the rock area, to that place where it's not going to shift and it's not going to move. And it's there that the second man builds his house. And when the wind comes and the rain hit, what happens to that house? 
stays, man. Stand, nothing happens because it's built upon the rock. And all of us here, we're called to build our entire lives upon that rock of Jesus Christ and bring that rock home with us and let our homes be built upon that. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 127. It says, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain them that build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And we're called to allow God to be the builder of our home, builder of our relationships, builder of our lives. And if we do that, when the winds and the storms and everything hits, guess what, guys? We're not going to be shaken we're not going to roll over. We're not going to be blown away. We're going to be firm and we're going to be strong no matter what comes at us. Amen to that one. Verse 4. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed. So God told him this. Now he's going to tell this to the guys. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of of the Jordan, each of you take up a stone on his, say shoulder, shoulder, on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Question once again, what part of the body are each of these 12 guys to carry the stone on? Shoulder. Now you think about that. You got to think about, you know, if you're going to carry a, a stone on your shoulder, would you carry a little stone like this on your shoulder? No. So to put it on your shoulder, what is that telling you about the size or weight of this rock? It's pretty big. It's pretty heavy. So he's saying, you got to put this on your shoulder. Do you know how far they're going to carry it? They're going to Gilgal from where they're at. They're going to carry, each one man carries a big stone on their shoulder. They're going to carry it eight miles. Now, if you're going to carry a stone of that size, eight miles on your shoulder, what does that tell you about the guy carrying the stone? They're strong. What else does it tell you? They're, they're not, they're not going to give up. They're not going to say, well, I'm just too tired to do that. They're not going to start complaining on the way. They're not going to try to hand it off to somebody else. He's picking specific guys who are going to go all the way, not complain, not wear out, but are going to take that stone all the way where it needs to go. They're not going to quit. What kind of picture is that telling you? That's a picture of a servant of Jesus Christ, is it not? No matter what comes at you, does is life get heavy sometimes? Say yes. Yeah. It's heavy for every one of us. There's times we want to just start complaining to God. Amen. We want to do those things. But the real servant of God continues to carry that stone and continues to, to make it all the way and does not quit. Now, another thought, sidebar, new thought on that stone. Do you remember in the prodigal, before the prodigal son story? Because Luke 15 is the same story three times. Did you guys know that? It's the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. He tells the same story three times in Luke 15. It's just that the prodigal part of it, the third part, is really extended and a lot of detail to the story. Now, when the guy goes and he loses one of the sheep, he's, the 99th day he goes looking for the one. When he finds the one sheep, what does he do with the one sheep? Puts it where? Puts it on his shoulder, that's right. And we're all called to have that kind of shoulder ministry to enable people to help believers, look, you're going to make it. Come on, you can do it. And please don't do this, all of you say, hey, come and talk to Pastor Jim, okay? Just, look, there's, you can do it too, all right? Because if you all try to pile it on me, I won't have any shoulders left, you know? 
And trust me, many people have done, hey, come here, talk to Pastor Jim. Pastor, you know, you can talk to you, okay? It's okay. You, you can grow and you can learn to do these things. No, we all have this shoulder ministry. Now, verse 6 and 7. He says, let this be a sign among you, is Josh still speaking, so that when your children ask later, saying, I love this, what do these stones mean to you? Woo, verse 7. Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial. Say memorial. memorial. Mm. To the sons of Israel, say forever. forever. No, say forever. No, don't say it like that. Okay. Now, it's a memorial, right? A memorial is something you re... You re what? You remember. Okay, it's, that's not a true question, all right? So... Let me just be saving about remember, then make a quick statement about this, and I'm going to move forward because I'm going to do more later on this in this message. One of the greatest things that you and I can have are the people that have very strong faith, let's put it that way, typically have certain elements to their life. And one of the elements is they are rememberers. Because when you go through a difficult time in God, something's not happening fast enough, there is a lot of pressure. The storms are this way. The storms are that way. And you wonder, God, are you still going to do this? One of the best things you can do in that moment is what? Remember. Remember what God has already done in your life. Remember the past when he did this. Well, I remember when he did that. And if he did that, and he did this, and he did that, you know what? Then he can do this. And so remembering is one of the greatest elements of developing strong faith and maintaining strong faith. You will be the person that carries the stone on the shoulder and you don't quit and you don't gripe and you don't complain, but you just keep on going forward. Now, in that verses 6 and 7, they, uh, they, uh, it's a memorial that they're going to set up. It's a memorial to remind, but so the children in verse 6 so the children, when they see them, next generation, every generation, will ask what? What do these mean? What do they, Mom, Dad, what do these mean? And that's designed so that the parent teaches the child what God did, what God is all about, and who God is, okay? I'm going to pause there because I'm going to hit this later on near the end a lot bigger. Is that okay? because there's more on this, because he's going to hit it again in this, in this teaching. Verse, verse 8 and 9. Then the sons of Israel um, did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Question again, so you just remember, how many miles are they carrying them? Eight, eight miles, good for you. Verse 9, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day, at the writing of this. Now, they take the stones out of there, but they get other stones, and they put them back right there. Did you catch that? That's interesting to me. Now, here's the thing. They set up the two memorials. One, they carry the stones. They're going to Gilgal. That's going to be their base of operations and they're going to they're set them up there so that their children and their children's children are going to ask them, hey, what's this all about? What does this mean? Hmm, okay. 
Did you read at all, at all where God spoke to Joshua and said, but I also want you to set up 12 stones in the river? We never read that, huh? It didn't, it, it's not stated to us, but Joshua does it. So we must assume that God must have told Joshua, do that. We need you to do this. Okay. But here's my question. A memorial in the river? Nobody is going to see the rocks down there. And the Jordan, if you remember in an Old Testament story, it's kind of dark and murky looking. You're not going to see the stones in there. So what's, what's going on? In fact, only God's the one who's going to see the stones. So why put another memorial in the water? Well, let me give you my thoughts on that, okay? Uh, in your notes, here we go. The two memorials. The Jordan Memorial is a picture of our old life buried with Christ. You catch that? So our old life, those rocks in the Jordan, because the water's going to rush over them again, they won't see them. It's our old life buried with Christ. The old you, the old me, once we were committed to Christ, followed Christ, we died on the cross with Jesus, we're crucified with Him, the old nature, we died and we're buried with Him. Amen? Okay, now, the Gilgal Memorial, where they're carrying the 12 stones for eight miles, is a reminder of rising out of the water to new life. Ah, interesting. Rising out of the water to new life. So the river opens, they cross in a new life. Now, we can find both of these buried with Christ and rising up a new life. We can find both in Romans chapter 6. So turn there with me. Would you keep your marker here? Look at Romans 6. It's a great passage. Romans is a great theological book. Paul is an amazing writer, and he puts together arguments beautifully. Now, in Romans 6, watch verse 1 uh, through 4. Now watch, we're going to see this whole idea of dead and buried, old nature, new nature, rising up in new life, and it's illustrated right here. Verse, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? So the grace may increase? May it never be. In other words, do you no, don't just start keep sinning because you think, God, oh, more grace. That's not, no, 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 no. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Oh, buried with him. There we are. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And in there you see a visual, or I should say just an application pointing to our old nature died, the old Jim died August 12, 1979, and then the new Jim rose up in a new life. The old nature was buried in that Jordan River, and then the new nature rises up and enters into the promised land. Amen? Now, let's go back to Josh, okay? Now, <clears throat> now in, um, chap in verse, uh, verse 9 again, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carry the covenant were standing, and they are to this day. Now, I want to bring up a couple th thoughts on this. So, they bring 12 stones, and they set them up. It didn't say they just threw them. Or the, they set them up. So, it's a memorial. It's a set-up memorial in the water. It's going to be covered by the water, okay? Now, <clears throat> how many stones? Okay, 12 stones, okay. 
I mean, this whole idea of setting these things up and bringing these rocks together to form a pillar, it's almost like the idea that, um, that it's like once you come up in a new life and you're a born-again believer, now you join into these 12. You part, you're part of the body of Christ. Amen? You're not an individual stone. You're not a solo person. You know, I'll be honest with you. You know why we have these partitions here? You know why I have them here? Yeah, some of you would want to sit as far away as possible because you can't be around humans. I'm, I'm being honest. I've been in church 40-some years. If I could tear down that wall, you'd, 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 you'd be out there because you can't be around humans. And I'm saying that to somebody, and I don't know who you are, but it's time to get around humans. It's time to be part of the body of Christ. Any amens on that? It's okay. No one's going to kill you, all right? It's really, really good. Now, that's one thing. Once you're born again, you're part of the body of Christ. Join in the body of Christ. But let me give you another example. Can I give you one more? How many stones? Ah, oh, 12 stones. How many uh, tribes in the nation of Israel? Oh, 12. You know your numbers, numbers are really, really good. Now, so 12 tribes make up the nation of Israel, correct? Now, some of you go to my men's breakfast. How many? Who goes to my men's breakfast? Okay, good. Okay, we'll get the rest of you soon enough. Okay. Now, we've been studying Elijah, right? Okay. And Elijah, he, he confronts the, uh, Ahab and all the prophets of Baal because they worship Baal, the storm god. And that's why the whole thing on top of Mount Carmel and the sacrifice and everything else, and they're going to call fire. He says, go ahead, call down, you know, fire from heaven, and their Baal God can't do anything. And then, of course, Elijah, before he calls, he's going to call down the real fire because they couldn't do anything. But one thing Elijah does uh, before all that happens, and I want you to turn, turn the, I want you, I want you to see it. Turn to 1 Kings 18. It's a little bit to your right, not far. Look at 1 Kings 18. So the whole setup there, Elijah's got everybody up on top of Mount Carmel, and uh, he's about to call fire down to prove that Yahweh is God. But watch what he does here in verse 31. Are you there in 31? Okay. He says, Elijah took 12 stones. How many stones? Oh my gosh. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Did you just catch something in there? He said, first off, the tribes are the sons of Jacob. What was Israel, what was Jacob's name, what would Jacob's name become? Israel. So he's going back to Jacob. You guys know you're 12 tribes from Jacob. But then when Jacob met Yahweh, Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ at the Jabbok River, he said, your name is going to be Israel. You become this nation now. And how many tribes in that nation again? 12. Ah, oh, 12. So here comes old Elijah before he calls down fire. And the problem is a lot of the Israelites are waffling between Yahweh and Baal back and forth. So it's a fragmented nation. And at that time, they were torn in two halves. You had, the, you had Israel, which is 10 tribes in the north, and you had Judah, two tribes in the south. They were split apart when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, made that really dumb move with the people and it splits apart. So the nation split, and so Elijah calls them all there, 12, number 12 again, he says, Israel shall be your name. So he's bringing them all together in one nation because they are fractured people and bringing them all together. Joshua says, 
we're going to put 12 stones in that river because you are a nation of 12, these 12 tribes. And this is who you are. And there will be a memorial that this is where you crossed because you were once a slave, people enslaved, and now you're one nation. And here we are, and we're going in. Does that make sense at all? Okay, good. Let's go back. Now, I'm going to give you a cool sidebar, okay? <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm going to give you. You guys want a cool sidebar? Yeah. Okay. Not all of you. I don't have to do it if you don't want one. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it no matter what. Um, <laughs> so, I just... Joshua puts 12 stones in the river, right? He puts stones in the river, right? That means the stones are buried at the bottom of the river, right? Okay, now, check this out. Turn to Exodus to your left. You guys okay with going all over the place? Okay, good. You don't have a choice. <laughs> Exodus 15, now watch this. Did Joshua put 12 stones at the bottom of the river? Okay, just making sure. Now watch, look at Exodus 15. This is after they cross, after the, the Red Sea parts and, and it comes and it comes splashing over and kills the, the, the Egyptian soldiers. And look at verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Ooh, like a stone. <laughs> So we have here in Joshua, the Jordan River, we have 12 stones. We have stones at the bottom of the river, right? After they crossed. And at the crossing of the Red Sea, what do we have at the bottom of that one? We have people like what? Stones. It's just an interesting, it's just a free one, okay? I just wanted to give it to you to show you how cool the Bible is at times. Amen to that. And cool all the time. Amen. Get messed up right there, huh? Uh, okay, look at verse, let's go back to Joshua chapter 4. Look at verse 10. For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything, say everything, everything. was completed that the Lord had commanded, say commanded, Amen. Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hurried, say hurried, and crossed. I'm going to give you three quick truths in your notes. Okay, ready to write? We have the example of the priests. Here it is, leaders finish. It says everything was completed. You're going to be a leader? you got to finish what you start. Then the example of Joshua. Leaders live by divine command. It says God commanded Joshua. So leaders must be led by the divine command of God. And then the example of the people. They made life easier for the leaders. They hurried and crossed. Now, don't you just hate it? When you're at the red light and you want to turn right and somebody's walking that crosswalk <laughs> but they're walking as slow as they can. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody like me feel like I just want to run them over. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just being honest, okay? And they know what they're doing, huh? They know they're exercising control over you. And they know what they're doing. And they're walking so slow. Oh, I just want to... No, I don't know. Okay. These guys, the people here, they hurried. They hurried and crossed. They didn't cross slow. 
Because those leaders, the priests, were standing in that river all day long. And Joshua writes that they hurried. Look, what does that mean? Just make it easier for spiritual leaders. Don't make it harder. What does that mean? Make it easier on your boss at work. Why make it harder on them? Why, why be a person that's going to cause more problems? Make it easy for your teachers. Why make it harder on them? Be a good steward of the things of God and make it easier for people. That's what we're here for, to do good deeds and things like that. Amen? Amen. So remember that, okay? Some of us need some repenting tonight. Amen? We're going to pause right now for that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Verse 11, And it came about when all the people had finished crossing. They all crossed. How many people again? About how many? Do you remember? Two million. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember how wide the gap was that they were crossing? Anybody remember? About 20 miles. Finished crossing. That the ark of the Lord and the people crossed before the people. Now, verse 12. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. So Reuben, Gad, half-tribe Manasseh. Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh, they become the two half-tribes. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. So there's a, quite a few guys crossing in first to go to battle, right? You got 40,000 of these certain, these certain tribes here. Now, we have shared this before of why these groups are going in first into the promised land and going first in battle. Why these are going in, what they must do. It's because they... Um, they decided when they got to the Jordan River before crossing, they liked the land on this side. And all of it was Israel's land. God says it. So they said, we want to stay here. It's called the Transjordan. So Moses told them, okay, so if you want to do that, what you have to do is when we cross in to start battle to take land, you guys have to go in first. And you have to fight with us until we take everything and then when every tribe has their land, then you can come back and dwell in your land. If that's agreeable to you, then we got a deal, you can, just, you can have this land. And they said, that's a good deal right there. Now, here's my issue, here's my deal, when I, what I want to bring forth right here. Um, if you just read what we just read, you wouldn't know all the background details of the story, right? You wouldn't know it, right? you just know, oh, they're going to go in first. But you wouldn't know the conversation that Moses already had with these tribes and their leaders about, you guys have to do this, this, and this if you want to do this this year. Now, I say that to say this. Let, here's a principle. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Correct? So you need other Scriptures to be able to give you understanding for this Scripture. And that's true of many things. Correct? So always, as you read your Bible, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Otherwise, and this is what happens, how cults develop, they'll take a verse... And they'll build a theology off one verse, and then it becomes a heresy, but you and I or somebody will fall for it because, well, that's what it says. But you've got to take all of Scripture. Any amens? Can I give you an example of that? Would you like one? Okay, good. I'll, I'll show you one right now. It's not in your notes, but turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Because I'll give you this one because this may come up some point at your front door when two people come with briefcases. <laughs> when you're there, say I'm there. Look at verse 29. Look what Paul writes. 
He says, otherwise, what will those who, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? That's a weird verse, isn't it? Well, people come into your door with a couple of briefcases in their hands and these nice little name things right there. They're going to tell you, look, you can get baptized for your dead relative who never put their faith in their cult system of belief. Now, it almost sounds like it, right? Right? Now, what you've got to remember is they're taking a verse and they're using one verse to build this whole theological doctrine. Will you ever find this idea of being baptized in the place of somebody else who died so they can make it anywhere else in the Bible? The answer is no. Do you know that nobody even knows what that verse means? There's not a scholar on the planet. There's not a biblical scholar on the planet in the history that understands that except for probably Paul and the original first followers. We don't know what it means. I have no idea what it means. I mean, there's guesses at it, but I'm not going to speculate the guesses. But the reality is there's nothing else in all the Bible that backs that up. And so what you do when somebody throws something at you, you don't just take one verse and say, there it is. No, you must let the rest of the Bible interpret the Bible. Amen? And that's when, you pl- that's when you're safe. That's when you have proper hermeneutics, proper rule of interpretation. So does that make sense? Yes or no? Okay, good. Let's go back to Joshua. Now, look at verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. And remember how God told Joshua, I'm going to elevate you and exalt you just like I exalted Moses. Remember that one? Okay, good. Verse 15. Now, the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests uh, who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, saying, come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. And why does it go over all its banks? Because what month is it? April? Springtime? Flood season? So there's a lot of water that's been backing up already, and they already had a lot of water. Now, verse uh, 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. So now we know we're getting near Jericho, which will be the first battle, all right? Now, what month is it? April. April, good. You guys, it's first month. It's April. And what day of the month is it? So it's April 10th. That's very important time uh, because we know that that is, uh, they cross, we know that's where Passover begins. Now, we'll come back to this whole idea next week when I intro, okay? But I don't have time to finish and do all that, but I promise I'll come back because it's very important this time of year. Now, verse 20. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up, at Gilgal. So now the guys get there and go, oh gosh, we're here, thank God. No, they didn't say that. But you know, they're carrying a lot of weight there. Um, so they carry the 12 stones, these 12 guys, eight miles to Gilgal. They set them up there. 
Now, let me, um, there's a memorial at Gilgal. There's a memorial inside the Jordan River. There's stones over there. There's stones over here. Let me give you just an interesting possibility. Okay? Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. I like interesting possibilities. Now watch this. It's John the Baptist is baptizing. And you know what river he baptizes in, right? The Jordan River. Okay, here's an interesting possibility. Now watch John the Baptist. Verse 7. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. That's a great opening line for any message, right? I mean, if you want to have a failed message to begin with, make that your opening line, okay? Title it Vipers, and then say, You brood of vipers. And says John. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Whoa. You never notice that John the Baptist doesn't pull punches. I mean, can you imagine how fast they try to kill him today? I mean, he'd just be laying it out, man. Verse 8, therefore, here he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Because remember, they thought they had salvation by, by birth. I'm born in the family. We're saved by, no, 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 Jesus, that don't count. Okay, that don't count. And he says, for I say to you, Jesus, for I say to you that these, what? Stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Is it possible? Is it possible? You guys know where I'm going, right? They got the stones there in the river. that they, Joshua put them in there. They're in there somewhere. And John the Baptist says, God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. Is it possible? that John could be standing in the vicinity of where they crossed. And he says, God can raise up from these stones. Don't you just love stuff like that? I do too, man. I got goosebumps. I might even eat dinner after this on that one, man. So good. Now, here we go. Let's go look at verse 21. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Remember before we went through that? Remember they said, we set them up, so the kids say, what do these stones mean? Remember that? Please say you remember that. Yes. Okay, good. Verse 22. Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. That should blow them away right there. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. Verse 24. And all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Okay. Bullet point. The Gilgal Memorial... I think... Do you have an is after that? Okay, good. I think I fixed the typo. The Gilgal Memorial is also a testimonial pointing people to God. The Gilgal Memorial, the one where they carried the stones eight miles to where they're lodging in Gilgal. It's a testimonial pointing people to God. He specifically told us in the chapter, you, set, you put these stones there so when your kids come walking by and see that pile of stones, and remember, they cannot chisel them, they cannot make an image of them because 
God says, do not make a graven image of me. God is a spirit. So you don't make an idol. You don't make an image of me. But so the kids come by. The next generation says, what do these mean, Dad? So when they say that, you now have an opportunity to tell your children what God did, what happened in this area, how great God is, because the pile of stones point to a moment in past times that really did happen, and the kids need to know about these things. Question, who is to answer the questions of the children? Louder? Who? Fathers. Fathers. The ever-expanding, missing-in-action group in America. And you know that. And you know that. We have so many little boys in grown-up men's bodies not taking responsibility in life. And you know that. And you know that in every ethnicity, there is a pretty high percentage of fatherless homes. And you know that. And you know that, and you know, at least you know that I've said it multiple times, that is the real problem in America. Not all the phony baloney stuff that journalists and politicians say. They're throwing money at everything. It doesn't fix anything. It's fathers. The father is needed in the home. Amen. Now, fathers, we need to uh, learn, dig deep, apply, live the scriptures. We carry an awesome responsibility as a father. And you know what? Being a father is one of the greatest things you can ever be. But you carry this responsibility because things, and remember, you bring the stones the, the priests are standing, you're the priest, you're on the stones, Jesus, you bring them home. Fathers, coming at your children at every angle is all kinds of lies and false ideologies, is it not? It's coming from every angle. They're getting all kinds of false thinking and all kinds of lies. But as a father, I need to know the scriptures so when I sniff out a false ideology, I can teach them the truth of God's word. Any, any amens? That's, that's exactly what I'm called to do. I'm to give spiritual instruction and teach my kids. Thought, think, think. Eve is standing there and the serpent is speaking to her and he's going through these things and she's talking back to him, which is a bad idea. And then she finally takes the fruit, right? Question, where is Adam? Standing right next to her. But you don't realize that in the story. You think he's somewhere out in the garden, you know, you know, picking pears or something. <laughs> he's standing right there. And he just lets it happen. He's watching the serpent deceive his wife. And he lets it happen. And he lets it happen. Now, dads, we're called to know these scriptures. We're called to live these scriptures. We're called to teach these scriptures because they're coming after our kids. They're coming after our kids on social media. They're coming after our kids in peer groups. They're coming after the school boards are coming after our kids. You know more and more they're taking a, away power from us as even parents. You know that's here now. It's a crazy, mixed up, upside down, demonic world. And we're called to make a strong, look, you teach your kids, you teach your kids, you teach your kids from, from the ground up about God. 
Because you're the front line of defense. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain, them that build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. We're to be that front line. Now watch this. Now watch this. Now watch. Now watch. Now watch. Last thought. You're not coming back. Turn to Judges chapter 2. Let me show you a real sad verse. Verses. Then we'll finish here. Now look at this. <clears throat> Judges 2. The next book to your right. <clears throat> now watch this. Verse 8. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation, Joshua's, also were gathered to their fathers. That whole generation died. They took the promised land. They believed God. They fought the battles. And there arose another generation after them. Here it is. Who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. They had the baton, and they didn't pass it. They didn't pass it to the kids. And they left the kids defenseless. The kids don't even know God. They don't know what God has done. And yet God told Joshua, these stones are for you fathers to teach your kids what happened, who God is, so that when things come at them, they're going to stay strong in their faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your word because it, it is alive. It's got so much in here for us. Challenges us, builds us up, encourages us. Interesting little possibilities in it. Oh, man. We thank you that you're so real in our life. God, help us to be that person that can carry those stones, that can instruct the next generation, that can take the promised land that doesn't circle around mountains, but instead moves in stages, preparation stages for the next stage of life. Thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.